is the big ponder. How buildings mean. What does that mean? And what building? The Taj Mahal? Or the Great Pyramid? Or the Art Museum north of the Arctic Circle in Roveniemi, Finland? With a door handle so human, so touching, so something. Its architect, its designer, a Finn, Juhani Palasma, says a door handle is the handshake of the building. Yes, how do you do? But there is no India, no Giza, no Finland, right here, right now. Just this room, these eye windows, this handshake doorknob, this hall, this building, step by step out toward another building, toward history, a block away, to a place called Woodley, Woodley Mansion, built by slaves on the cool high ground above Washington, just a block away. Now it's a prep school, Marais. It was on a piece of ground called Pretty Prospect, because of the view of the city down below, the incipient city. But it was named for a house in England. It was Woodley Lodge. Historian Al Kilburn used to teach here at this school, Marais. He says the old Woodley Mansion was home to the elite. Senators, cabinet members like Henry Stimson, generals like George Patton, and presidents Van Buren, Buchanan, Grover Cleveland... In short, the school building simply is history. For me, just personally, it's a memory palace. Because as I walked into, um, for example, the computer room that was once Henry Stimson's study, I could almost feel um, him sitting down and hearing Franklin Roosevelt's voice talking about Pearl Harbor having just been bombed. Woodley Mansion used to have two floors, but now it has three, thanks to Alaska, and some bribe money in the 1800s from Russia for Congress. Alexander II, who was the Tsar of Russia, had a piece of real estate that he wanted to unload. And the American Congress was very skeptical about that. But our Secretary of State, a man named Seward, thought that there were great future possibilities to this barren wasteland up to the north. Congress just shook their head. They called this land Seward's icebox, Seward's folly. So Alexander II 
knew there was one person who might be able to move the general mood um, of the Congress, and his name was Robert Walker. Living at Woodley, described as a mere whiffet of a man, but he was a mere whiffet of a man with a who cast a long shadow. So, Alexander II gave little Robert Walker $26,000 in hard, cold Russian gold. And he said, go grease a few palms. And lo and behold, we ended up buying Alaska. But now Robert Walker had enough to add to Woodley. So he put the third floor under the central section and the second floor onto the two side sections. And so it was at that time that Woodley assumed the silhouette that it has today. Woodley Mansion, Murray, has students and teachers today, and also maybe some mysterious visitors from the past. Al Kilburn says that sometimes doors open and close unexpectedly, and there are curious whiffs of tobacco. And then there's the woman in white. Yes, actually, I was um, a party to a ghost story. And that was that a night watchman during November um, came up to me in the morning and he said something very strange had happened. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, the evening before, he said um, he went out, there was a bench out front of Woodley and there was a woman um, who was sitting on the bench. She was in a long white dress and she, he couldn't understand why um, she wasn't in a coat because it was a cool night. And anyway, he looked to see what sort of a car had brought her. And when he looked back, she had disappeared. I uh, took him inside of Woodley um, and in what was the Woodley main room, the parlor, there was a portrait of Ann Plater Key, who was the wife of the first owner and the builder of Woodley. And I said, did that woman that you saw look anything like her? And he reacted so strongly, he said, that was the woman. Kilburn says that in 1832, Ann Plater Key, perhaps the woman in white, opened the doors of Woodley to the public. It was the year a cholera epidemic killed 100,000 Washingtonians, and Platter Key offered hospitality to citizens fleeing the city. They could stay at Woodley, if they paid, and if they brought their own bedding. It's said that in life, or in memory, sooner or later every door, every room, connects with every other room. And sooner or later, the door opens to the hidden ballroom of Versailles. So many rooms in Versailles. So many unused rooms. Dusty, under wraps. And this hidden ballroom, years ago, went missing in Versailles. How on earth... No one knows when or even if. But it must 
be there somewhere in Versailles or somewhere. It's here. It's in the Kennedy Warren. <laughs> here they call it the Warren Room, and I bet you it was the old ballroom, you know, in the day. I bet there were big parties uh, back there. Uh, but I have taken free Saturday morning yoga classes in that room. Longtime broadcast journalist Susan Stamberg lives down the street from Woodley Mansion in another historical building, the vast old Kennedy Warren Apartments, a 1930s Art Deco masterpiece with parlors and a ballroom and a facade that glows in the sunset. The light is my salvation in this pandemic. I have to say, because uh, NPR, where I work, is um, in lockdown, so we're all working from home. I've never done that in my life, but this apartment is walled with windows. It offers light and views and community. I was in the same Sears Roebuck house in Washington, D.C., my husband and I, and our then brand new son for 46 years and my husband always called it our starter home. He died in uh, 2007 and we had spent about three years before that looking pretty much in every apartment building in this city. Never here, never in Kennedy Warren by the way, but all kinds of other places and never saw one that pleased both of us in the, the same way. But on his deathbed, he said to me, get out of this house. He was worried about me you know, being ha having to be responsible for a house because he knew how ignorant I was about what you needed to do. The house was in perfectly good, well, decent shape anyway. But that's what he said. I do have to tell you a couple of stories about community, which is also extraordinary. I grew up in an apartment, and it was like a... Ver in in Manhattan, and it was like a vertical village. That is, you knew your neighbors, and my mother, my mother made a best friend who lived, we were on the ninth floor, the best friend, I think it was on 12, and they, those women would go up, up and down on elevators to see each other and have visits. And there was another neighbor across the hall who became a close friend of hers, and a classmate of mine in sixth grade's father was the superintendent of that building, so Dolores was downstairs, and I would go see her sometime too. So it was sort of internal uh, friend making and knowing of one another. But what's I, what I've discovered here is to me extraordinary. A sense of community and community making that I never expected. I posted, we have a listserv for the building, and I posted during the pandemic a note asking uh, if anybody makes regular runs to Trader Joe's and or uh, Costco uh, and would be willing to pick up a few things for me, please get in touch. I got eight responses, eight of them, in, and they were all strangers. I didn't know any of them. Again, I thought, oh, that would never happen in New York. Never, never. The building has its quirks, you know. And the quirkiest thing, I think, well, it's wonderful that it, it, we, we are allowed to have pets here. And many, many people do. The ones I see are dogs. But none of those four little feet, or big ones, 
are allowed to touch the ground of any public space. Very nice carpets, and they are to be preserved. And so strewn throughout the building, mostly off the lobby, or maybe in people's apartments too, are strollers, baby strollers. And you'll be in the lobby, and the elevator doors will open. Out comes a child's stroller, and poking outside of it are these <laughs> little furry faces who can't wait to get outside. That's quirky. How buildings mean. What does building mean? What does mean mean? Heidegger? Hmm? Bildung. Building. No. Building. Bildung. No. No way. Nein. Nicht. Kein. Ah. But. History. Geschichte. Historie. Historisch. Historiography. History ish. No. Heidegger. Being. Dasein. Being. Being. Ing. Dasein. Design. Ist. Design. Is. Geschichtlich. Dasein. Is. History. Ish. Buildings take us back to Dasein. Back to Dasein. And back into time. As Finnish architect Juhani Palasma says, we enter the space, and the space enters us. The rooms of the painter Kalervo Palsa in the far north of Finland, in Kitile, where he froze to death in his bed, in his shack. Rooms in his head, rooms filled with snow, as he skied from one to the next room of snow, while outside the sweet birds sang. Back in D.C., a block or two from the Kennedy Warren Apartments, lives the painter Peter Waddell, known for painting history, detailed paintings of Washington's historic buildings and homes. For me, most projects start in a kind of visionary state. It comes to me what it is that I'm going to do, and of a piece. I don't think of myself as sort of seeing through walls. I can sometimes have a sense of sorting out what was there before it was fixed up or done up or changed. Sometimes I can see those things, but that's slightly... I suppose it is like seeing a skeleton through the flesh. 
The most um, important aspect is getting original plans and elevations of the space. So you can actually see what was built. And thanks to a subject called technical drawing when I was at school, I have the ability to recreate spaces from plans and elevations to make convincing interiors or exteriors for that matter from those raw materials. I mean, there's lots of written accounts. Uh, People wrote long descriptions of things. Newspapers were full of long paragraphs of description. And those are essential. Often they're lyrical and um, quite poetic. And because people were used to writing and reading long descriptive passages, they got very good at it. So that People reading the National Intelligencer could create a picture in their own mind of what the reporter had seen. Peter Waddell peeks back and relives time and brings to life, say, the rooms of the Capitol in the 1800s, or the White House under construction, or bird's-eye views of Washington in 1825, often large canvases, but detailed and painted with the tiniest of brushes as if, he says, made from the eyelashes of unborn mice. I have wanted to do a painting about Washington and the Civil War. This new project is to create a very large bird's-eye view which contains everything that's known about Washington in the Civil War on the day that Lincoln was shot at at the fort just outside of Washington. Peter Waddell paints the meaning of buildings detail by detail. The cast of light through the windows, the exact drapes, or, in the case of the Capitol in the 1800s, the bathtubs in the basement. They're still there. They were carved out of enormous pieces of solid Carrara marble, and at the time they were put in, it's said that um, when the baths were not in use, then visitors could go and see their, this extraordinary feature that had been constructed down there. And I did a painting of that, showing some visitors that had arrived when the baths were in use, which amused me. The city changed dramatically during the Civil War. It had been really pretty quiet until then, and then the population doubled very quickly. It filled with soldiers and there were stockyards down on the moor. As the other day, there were soldiers sleeping in the capital during the Civil War. Only on that occasion, lice spread throughout the building, uh, and people who worked there were driven mad by the drumming and the scratching. And I'm sorry to have lived to see the time when soldiers were back sleeping in the capital. I never thought that would happen in my or anybody else's lifetime, but there it was, and it had happened before. And now I'm going to lead you from through the parlor to the dining room. Here we've got a second, second pocket door. Gary Lee 
former Washington Post correspondent and restaurateur, now a writer, world traveler, at his home in D.C. I'm sitting now in the dining room, um, and then just looking around, I mean, I tend to collect things. So, for example, at the top of the mantelpiece, there's a lot of uh, ceramic gel. It's mostly Russian, some of it from China. There's looking straight ahead, there's a wall hanging with uh, kind of like a tapestry with three elephants, which is Malaysian. Uh, straight ahead of me, uh, to the, to my left, I'm seeing a um, podium, which is a carved, kind of elegant carved wood that we had made for us in Peru and brought up to serve as the host station at Las Canteras Restaurant, which we owned for many years. So I stood at it as a host welcoming guest to the restaurant. Behind it, hanging on the wall, there's an ore that I bought in Suriname, uh, which uh, Suriname is mostly 90% rainforest, so the getting around there is mostly by canoe, and so ores are big things. People collect them. They have their own. So that's those are some of the things that I see looking around there. Two stuffed lemur in the corner that I got in Madagascar, uh, so... This and that. The rooms are painted a light purple or oxblood red. Cozy. We like to cook. We like to talk. Different groups, different friends, different sets of friends have come over the years. There was one occasion on in the period in which Clarence Thomas was being was nominated for the Supreme Court. There were several gatherings around the table which involved discussion of the Thomas nomination. It was particular interest to my family, many of whom were in town at that time, because my aunt, my mother's younger sister, is Anita Hill. And Anita, who we called Faye, that's her middle name, would come to some of those gatherings as well. The surprise of this building, though, is not inside. It's out back. The neighborhood for a long time marked the end of urban Washington, D.C. proper. And so over the years, Adams Morgan became known as the kind of eclectic, diverse center of Washington. There was a mix of just about everything. And Walter Pierce Park, and it's really almost literally right outside of my back door. Walter Pierce Park, it turns out, was uh, in the late 1800s, sort of from around 1860 to the end of that century, an African-American cemetery. Um, and in, in the course of a project which, is, which was launched and is still being furthered by Howard University, uh, they've discovered some remains uh, there, and they have done a lot to uphold the spiritual tradition of the cemetery. Go out Follow me out to the deck.
there's a dog run and playing fields and something else, some forgotten history, now rediscovered. And a deck looks straight out over Walter Pierce Park, and, and which was the old African-American cemetery. Beyond that park, there's a basketball court, and then beyond that, there's a road that leads into the back entrance to the Washington Zoo. How buildings mean. The German poet Hölderlin said, but hold on there. Hold it right there. Hold it in there, Hölderlin. Because of course, Hölderlin, you went mad. Or did you? But before you went mad, or after, you said, Heimat, armes Herz. Du wirst sie nie erfragen, wenn dir nicht ein Traum von ihr genügt. Home, poor heart, you will not rediscover if the dream alone is not enough. Home, home, Heimat, home. I'm at, home at, I'm at, home. Nein, nicht, kein. Possibility. 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 Home, poor heart, you will not rediscover if the dream alone is not enough for the big ponder how buildings mean Alex Vanoss You've been listening to The Big Ponder This transatlantic podcast is brought to you by the Goethe Institute in collaboration with the Bertelsmann Foundation and Rundfunk Berlin-Brandenburg. Thanks to all our friends on both sides of the big pond that make this series possible. <laughs>